Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Order your Renault 191 today and avail of low APR finance, cashback, and three-year servicing. Visit Blackstone Motors today or see blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Wednesday's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Lots of interesting guests today once more. And you will meet the second participant in Lose Weight and Feel Great 2019. That coming up on the show today after three o'clock. Anne Mead into the uh, fray yesterday. And we have the first gentleman on our programme this year to meet this afternoon. Less than two years into his term as president of the Irish Farmers Association, Mead's Eddie Downey resigned. His hand was forced after it emerged that a two million severance package had been sanctioned to former General Secretary of the IFA, Pat Smith, on Eddie's watch. It was a massive story at the time and caused turmoil in the country's largest farming organisation. That was late 2015. Just over three years have gone by and has the dust settled for Eddie Downey? Well, we're going to find out now, Eddie... It's great to see you again. Thank you, Jerry. Good to be here. Thank you for joining me on the show. And I want to say again, I can just cast my mind back to your campaign to be president when you joined us here. The day you were elected, you came into this studio, you were a man of your word. You said that you'd come back here on that day if you won the election, and you did. And Eddie, the euphoria, it was a marvellous time for you and your family. Well, it was a huge, uh, not just for me, um, but yeah, absolutely, as you say, Jerry, huge time for me personally, my family, um, all the connections I had all through County Mead and all over the country. So many people worked so hard to get me into that position. Um, and I think they did the right thing. Um, and look, at uh, it was hugely euphoric. It was great. It was an absolutely wonderful, wonderful job to be involved in. People don't understand just what it means, um, or where you have to be, what the, the what's involved in it, um, and all the activities involved. In it. But the 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 ability of that particular job to open doors and allow you to get influence for your members and for the people, not just farmers, but for rural Ireland to change things. I think that was absolutely massive. Very proud to have done it, and I'm very proud of the job I did in it. Yes, because you had dreams and aspirations and plans and mm. strategies as well, and away you went in that first year and into the second year, and you were implementing them. You were making well, a real if difference. If, if you look, at that, we had a, a campaign leaflet, which I, you would have seen on numerous occasions. Um, that campaign leaflet, every single item on that, I had the boxes ticked on it. We had that done. We were now about to set up, in my opinion, to reform the organisation, do all the things that needed to be done and to move on to new new pastures and that, from the organisation's point of view. I thought we were in a great place. What happened? I suppose here we are and I've always been dying to ask you this question. Yeah. When you look back from this point three years on and how it came about, did you sleepwalk into it or what? Oh, no, I think um, it was quite simply... It was a very strange time and um, the organisation, you know, look, at never wash your dirty linen in public. That's the reality of where this was at. We had a job to do. There was an um, internal, we were changing the internal organi- workings of the organisation. We had an audit committee and a remuneration committee just put in place. Those were there to deal with issues surrounding salaries and all that stuff. Stuff that all, there's numerous organisations out there have to deal with this stuff yet, yet we were ahead of the tre- trend on this and dealing with them. But 
the problem was we were a political organisation with a lot of people with political angles and they just got hold of certain information and they threw it out publicly and you or nor everybody else in the media system, they're going to take that sort of stuff and run with it. Once it runs away from you, once that genie gets out of the bottle, very difficult to recap it, put it back in and mm. deal with it. If you look back on the situation now and you look back on the salaries involved and the situation involved... Wasn't that, it wouldn't be that big of a deal when you look at it against other organisations and other similar organisations out there. And I believe, quite frankly, that the influence that IFA had and the, its ability at the time, paying a decent salary to a good man to do a job, that's what we should do. Mm. It was a big severance payment. I mentioned the two oh, million. Yeah. And that was, but that was completely taken out of context. And mm. I didn't resign, Jerry, because of the severance, the deal, making the deal in the severance package. I, did, I, I left the organisation because the people who had worked with me and acted with me to, to do that uh, walked away from it not because of the package itself okay because people who knew and were in on this washed their hands and they, it, they walked and really away left you high and dry was oh, that absolute, it abs- well they walked away from it and I felt to myself well listen these are the people I'd have to work for the next two years I would have, would have no faith nor couldn't have faith in dealing with those so I walked away isn't that interesting and why wouldn't so, you how could you, you well know? you can't you couldn't work with people like that mm. if you don't trust people you can't be there and I didn't I had no lost faith completely in those people and it was either a case of wreck the whole place or walk away I walked away for the good of the organisation I remember it was a huge news story and it, it ran for a while as well and when you pack up your office there at your desk and you leave for the last time and go home mm. to your family and your farm do you feel like at that stage saying no more public persona for Eddie Downey uh, not really Jerry. why would I say that because I did the job well I did it right I did the right thing I did it right up to the right step right to the last piece we, um, I had a job to do as regards to um, um, a remuneration or a sorry severance package it was dealt with it was 1 million euros as you say yourself Jerry. Uh, but it was 10 payments for the pension that had to be paid off these were absolutely required legally I was advised this was what had to be done um, and I was told to get it done as quickly as possible that was all done the people who drew up that package they, they put that in front of me and I signed it on that basis and, and I got good advice on it and it proved to be good advice afterwards. Um, and you also have to remember, Pat Smith as the General Secretary, he was due a bonus for the previous two years. Add that into the million. Now, you're at exactly the figure you should be on a, on a severance mm. package. It was correct and right. But explaining that within the noise that was there to members on the ground at that particular time would have been very difficult. I think the members they look at it today and they look at where we are, where the organisation is... Um, Good people are hard to get. Mm. You're a resilient fellow. I know this, and over the years, it, it, it's been a case with you, and anything you've done. But you know, for you personally and your family, you know, when when this blows up, is that difficult? How did you deal with that? Was there much dealing with that? Well, you have to also remember, Jerry. Um, um, while I was in this job, and it was it's a it was a twenty four hour job, and it was flat out all year round. I was also farming, mm. and I would also had a, a very good commercial farm to go back home to, and uh, fat wife to um, son and daughter so and my mother was there at the time we've lost her since um, unfortunately but great woman great woman wonderful woman Um, and uh, it was tough on her but then I had my two brothers there beside me I have two sisters as well they're they're very close family Um, it wasn't that difficult to manage and move on from that next morning I was up in the yard seven o'clock I was out there looking after chickens uh, sorting out machines whatever else and I love tinkering at machines I love repairing them and I did all that sort of stuff and I buried myself in different projects along the way Mm. and uh, then Patrick turns around and he says listen um," he walked into the house and he says we're going dairy and he said out of the blue and he said we're going dairy and he added up all the figures and he said what we'd have to invest to stay at tillage and he said I can invest that money in dairy and and we'll be into the dairy industry that's where we are today that's not a bad place after three years it certainly is and it does show you as well family close friends are Mm. the real 
deal in life, no matter what you do with your life. Oh, that's yeah. where it all comes back to, isn't it? Oh, whatever, that's all there is. Yes. And like Jerry, you know, like, and but it's it's wonderful to do a job and get on with it and be proud of the job you did. And I am absolutely proud. Deputy President, President of IFA, Farm Business Chairman of IFA. The stuff we did there, there's a land leasing scheme there, Jerry, which has changed the face of Irish agriculture and land leasing and, and, and land tenure in this country. That's a phenomenal thing to be able to say. I was part of the process that mm. did that. Now, I led it in the beginning and worked its way through. What really kills me is that we started a, succe- a succession process. Now, that's I have a son at home, so you can imagine my um, need to put that in place. But, you know, with the, you know, but I, I drove that and we had a succession piece put in place. It's the nucleus of it there. The, 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 you know, that's there, but it needs to be developed further. I would love to have the opportunity to do that. Mm. There's so many things you'd love to do, but that's why, uh, Jerry, I turned around and I said, well, le- let's not go away. And I got involved in... Um, I got an invitation to get involved. Um, actually, Simon Coveney made the invitation for me to get involved in the, the Fine Gael Agricultural Committee. And I says, yeah, I got involved in that. I'm in that. There, I can make this. I believe I have the same opportunities to make the same influences and to change things. And I'm looking forward to working there. That. That's terrific. And I know you're involved in quite a, num- a number of other things as well, which we'll come on to in a moment. What's your relationship with the IFA like since and the officers and the man who succeeded you? Um it's reason. It's good. It's reasonably good. It's as good as can be expected. Every president that leaves the job, um, it, it's an awkward place when you're finishing the job because you see a new guy coming in and they're taking on and they're going off in a different direction. You say, "I wouldn't do that," or "I wouldn't do." That. But that's everybody's different, and I'm sure people looked at the same John Bryan before me, good friend of mine. But I'm sure he looked at it exactly the same way and says, "Yeah, Eddie he's going there. I wouldn't do that." But we did. Everybody does their own thing. I think Joe Healy's doing his job in the in the circumstances. In it's a particularly difficult place at the moment. Um, and uh, we're in this huge change with Brexit and all the issues associated with that, a lot of uncertainty. And um, the farming community are uh, nervous, to say mm. the least, are nervous mm. at the moment. I'm worried about the future and where that's going to be. And you but, called for radical reform. I was, I was reading, I've been looking at, yes. <laughs> at your very recent stuff as well, and you're calling for radical reform in the IFA. F- from what perspective? Well, you see, uh, I'm calling for radical... Re- well, what I'm saying is there needs to be reform, major reform within the organisation. Um, and if I had finished my two years, we would have had a reform package put in place. That's where we were at. Right at the space, we were debating that and putting and, and looking at that. Um, some of the stuff we had already done and had need to, other things need to be right. Um, what needs to change? The communication structure, how it's done, the, the use of um, smartphones, um, the internet technology bring, bring IFA right into that te- technology area where where the members get the information on a regular basis. Um, I'd like to see um, you know updates on a regular basis what the organisation is doing, how it's doing, it, where it. Now the journal used to be the way to do that, mm. and it still is the way that, that information gets out. The farmers journal that information gets out there, but there needs to be a little bit more specific IFA information getting out to the members to show them what what it's doing. Mm. I know the organisation doing an awful lot of work. I know that because I was there. Yes. But the member on the ground doesn't necessarily understand that until they meet the one specific issue at any one particular time and they realise, oh yeah, IFA can help me deal with that. That's where the communication, the void, the gap is. And, and, and when you look at the age profile of farming as well, you know, you, you're talking about a challenge there as well to get people to adapt new technologies and means of yes. communication. That's, that's an issue. But then look at, if you look at the age profile and it's changing. There's a lot of young people there. Mm. There's a lot, like, in, I live just 
between Drawd and Slane, you know, but, but if you take that whole, the parish of Slane, a lot of young farmers there, a lot of new young lads coming on there. You don't see them because they're working like hell and they're getting on with the business. But there's a really good group of young people. Patrick's involved in uh, Mokra in, uh, he's in, in County Loud, Mokra, God forbid, you know, and we need people, you know. But, um, <laughs> uh, come on, you're ecum- ecumenical people. As actually, well, actually <laughs> Jerry, he, he's, he was the chairman of, of, he was the chairman of Tully Allen, Mokra and Ferma, and his grandfather, Patrick Downey was the chairman of Tully Allen Mockery Family because he originally came from there. So there's a little bit of history yes. there. That's nice for us as yes. well. But, um, you know, he's involved with, with the Mockery there. There's a lot of young, good farmers there, out there. You know, this idea that the, the agriculture is getting old, the farmers are getting old. It, it, to an extent, that's true. But the reality is that there's, it was always the same. There was always the grey head on the older farmer, but the young people were coming on through the mm. system. They're still there. Lesser numbers, bigger operations but in embracing technology and more efficiency, you know, that's the way the world has gone. The other big challenge, and I, I, I was just uh, reading a piece, I think it was last week or the week before, by Simon White. You may know him, the IFA National Environmental uh, Committee. He's actually stepping down from it shortly. And he was just talking about, you mentioned Brexit, but this whole thing about climate change, where mm. farmers, I'm sure over the coming years, they're going to have to comply, they're going to have to adapt, they're going to have to probably bloody pay, Eddie. There's a lot coming in that sphere, isn't there? There's a huge, it's a huge area for us and uh, it has poten- several potential problems. One is, you know, look, we produce enough food to, to feed 26 million people in this country at the moment. That's a huge thing. You know, that's a huge, I mean, we have what, four and a half, less than five million of our own. 80, 90% of the product we produce is exported. We're being hit on climate change on the basis of the production of food for 26 million people and, tw- and five million people are going to have to pay for it. But we're feeding half of, it, uh, of the UK we should be getting credits for doing for the every bit that's exported on that basis and there mm. needs to be new balance on that um climate change will be a big issue there will be costs involved in it i think they can be mitigated in a lot of ways by doing things like um the whole area of of renewable energies farms are ideally set to do a lot of that stuff um everything from biodigesters to solar panels to wind turbines these whole there's a whole area there now they're controversial in areas and people don't like them in parts but if they get us to the stage where we can comply with our um requirements under you know the the paris agreement that on climate change that we can comply with that that's a good place for us to mm. be. So I think we can do a lot there. Um, we're doing a lot on efficiencies. Chagas have done a lot of research on efficiencies on different food, going into different animals, different varieties of wheat, different ri- varieties of grain, going into different uh, to chickens or pigs or cattle. And that that's reducing the, uh, the emissions from them. We can do a lot here. And mm. I think, I think uh, you know, Irish farmers are well up for it. Mm. And people, I was just thinking, uh, t- uh, farm tours, you know, people, yes. a lot of people don't understand where the food comes from, how it's produced. Get more children as well out to see what this is all about. Isn't that an option? And what about forestry? Well, two things. Yeah, we go to forestry, but I want to okay. go, uh, um, you're absolutely right on the farm tours. And what we need to do is, um, we're, uh, there's a couple of, I was looking at this particular idea at the moment. It's a, it's a brainchild of a, a neighbour of mine. But uh, the idea that we would bring people to commercial farms, mm. show them, worse and all, a good commercial farm, how it runs, why it operates, why it does what it does, the output from it, the number of people that are employed upstream and downstream from it, and the output from it, and what that generates for the, for the economy. I think that's the place we need to be. Okay. And the World Heritage Site in Newgrange, wouldn't it be a nice place to put it? Let's bring tourism to the northeast. You know, that's what we need to be doing. 
bring in at them. Don't push them away and let's get them to stay overnight. It'd be another fantastic add-on to what we oh. have historically in this area anyway. Just a word on the forestry. I suppose it doesn't really apply too much to the Loudmead area where we have the most wonderful agricultural land in the world. It'd be a sin to put too many trees in it, wouldn't it, Eddie? Uh, in parts it would be a good idea. You know, certain plantations in, um, we'll say, difficult areas... Uh, steep slopes, all that sort of stuff. That they, you know, they should yeah. be planted. Some of them should be planted, and it, but it's entirely up to everybody what they want to do with their land. And that's but but I think uh, the potential of forestry is huge. We'd need to get the carbon credits for it. We're not currently getting those delivered back to the agricultural sector. They're taken off, and industry is using those. That's an, that's a difficulty for us. But I think we can resolve that. Now you mentioned to me that you're moving from beef into dairying through yeah. your son Patrick. He's been away. He's only home from New Zealand. Isn't well, he it? spent he spent uh, six months. He went to New Zealand for it felt like a lifetime for us, of course, as parents, <laughs> you know. And his mother certainly, you know, lost her life over the idea that he's where is he, you know, and look at the globe. But yeah, he had, he had a great time out there. Um, never no socialising at all as you can imagine as a 22 year old of course he would not a bit but uh, he had a good time out there learned a lot um, worked hard and he's back home now working hard and, and yeah very proud of him what he's doing and very proud of Alison's daughter as well very proud of her as well of what she's doing so there's money in the milk I was just mm. looking beef prices my god they've really collapsed is that down to Brexit entirely? Um, it's a combination of a number the sterling has weakened mm. uh, 50% of the beef we export goes to the UK Therefore, there's okay. a problem there. And that, that creates... And once you create any sort of problem, the beef industry is a confidence industry. It's very difficult to keep the momentum going with it. The price is certainly unviable at the moment. The factories know that. Everybody knows that. Um, it's very, very difficult for the farmers that are killing cattle at the moment and moving and, and trying to, you know, get a return for them. Um, you need four euros a kilo. That's the reality where the beef industry needs to be. It's, it's a long, long way away from it. What are you talking about? Just to, to let people um, know how short... I'm not even sure. I'm not, you know, I wouldn't be up to date. But it's not for... Oh, it's a long, long way away from it. Yeah. And there's a gap after opening up between okay. us and the UK. It's significant. It's All right. What about tillage? Tillage had a decent year, yes, last year. Um, tillage had a funny year, yeah. The winter crops, very good. Yeah. Weather suited them. They came in reasonably good. Prices were strong at the end of the year. So, yeah, tillage men have got, on balance, got... I would say okay years. Some of us have had middling years because we had all spring corn, but you know, on balance, it worked out okay. Um, but it was an expensive year, and that there was you know irrigation, all that sort of stuff going on. You know, in Ireland, irrigating it sounds mad, but that's what we had to do, and farmers had to do to keep the crops growing. Potatoes, uh, you know, when you go into your shop at the moment and you see potatoes on the shelf, you have to be thankful that there was a farmer there took the effort, made the effort to put water on that during the summer and keep it growing and make sure it's there. So what I'd be saying is, you know, take a chance, put a few extra spuds in the in the basket when you go into the shop at the moment <laughs> to support those guys. Is there ever a year without a farming crisis? No, because we had to talk. We had the father, like, and then we had that beast from the east. Then it goes into this summer and people said, we'd never see a drop of water again. Yeah. Walk out to your local field and have a look at your streams and ditches now. There's any amount of water. Right. But on that theme, here we are at the very start of January. And you're going to tell me there are people cutting silage. Yes, absolutely. People cutting silage out there. Was a, a contractor was in the yard the other day. He had, um, he's out there pick, they picked up um, 80 acres of silage the other day. Every contractor, they're up on, Patrick has them on, the, on Facebook, they're all up there, they're cutting away at the moment. Now what they're actually cutting is the crops that were put in under the father scheme that was brought in during the summer by the minister. Um, and people, you know, if it's a subsidy for tillage farmers to grow a crop that could come in as father, that's actually coming in now. It's on a second and third cut. It's been a phenomenal success. Now the weather has absolutely oh suited this Oh my God, charity. Eddie. It's been phenomenal. Grass is growing, you can see the lawn, you know. But... Um, <laughs> That's worked so, so well and it's been such a success. Okay. And it was 
the you know people add you know and everybody gives out about Chagas and all the people out all those people out there who, who give advice but they added it up they worked it out they said where we'd be short and they made a, a decision minister made a decision to put money in here to make sure that the, the the feed would be there to feed the cattle for this winter at the moment it looks like we got it absolutely spot on. So 2019, you heard it today exclusively from Eddie Downey. Yeah. There will be no crisis in farming this year. They're away to a flyer. No, not on father. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> little, a a crisis little is just round the corner. clarification <laughs> yeah. there from the man himself. Here's the other thing. Slurry spreading begins in Loudon Mead, 16th of yeah. January. How long does that season run for? Then it runs back right into the autumn of... of the, of the year. Okay. It's a closed period. It's it's most controversial thing um, because it's there because of an ITER directive. It's very, very controversial. Farmers just hopping mad. Why can't I spread now? And, the, and you know you're, you're absolutely perfect conditions. Ground fabulous. You should be flying away and spreading it. By right, a farmer would do that because he knows what's the right thing to do. The dates will change. The weather could change. Mm. And next thing, we're trying to move this stuff in the middle of very diff- in difficult conditions. Yeah, you get cold, freezing conditions yeah. coming now. It's, it's, it's wrong... But the part of that is that it, this is a whole package on, on, on climate change, on nitrates that had to be brought in at a period of time. It's our way, we have to work our way through. Yes, yeah, unfortunately, it's the water courses and and yes. and, uh, and, they, and we, we we have to be responsible here, and farmers are responsible. You must you must not pollute water courses. It would be absolutely perfect spread slurry at the moment from a weather point of view and all that. But we had to meet certain rules from. Europe and I don't always like saying giving out about Europe because we could end up with a Brexit situation if you constantly give out about Europe the reality is the people in Europe that made these rules are probably Irish people you know so and, and a lot of the people that made the rules on Brexit or that the Brexit years are given out but they were English people mm. so it's ourselves making rules for ourselves but we blame Europe Isn't it interesting that the farming community are really as of one on this island about remaining in the EU yeah, I think that. Well, I don't see, think there's any options here. And look at when you're part of uh, 500 million uh, of the most affluent consumers in the world and you're producing ex- 90, export 90% of what you produce, what would you do? You'd definitely stay in it. That's where you want to be. Um, and all the businesses we have all around the country, all the, de- the tech industries, all those, they need the access to Europe, be the American companies or wherever they've come from. They want that. They're here because of access to Europe. Mm. They're here because we speak English and we have access to Europe. Um, so that, you know, Europe is absolutely essential to us. We're interwoven there. Look at how difficult it is for the, for the UK at the moment. To even I, the idea of breaking up and moving away from it, they're suddenly realising that it's, this is a monumental task. It's not simply saying, oh, we're leaving. You said earlier, the, uh, you mentioned the numbers that we're feeding in the UK from this little island here and the small numbers we have relative to them. Brexit would be a disaster if they crash out with no deal. Um, Talk we were saying about crisis in agriculture. Oh, yeah. Look at if, Would if, that be if, the, the biggest crisis ever? A, a no deal is unthinkable. It's simply unthinkable. We, you know, we're faced with tariffs straight away, 20% tariffs on t- different, you know, huge... Imagine trying to, you know, we're trading as, as we are now and look at the beef price. Now imagine knocking, putting 20% tariff on that and then go ahead... Um, de- Europe, de- uh, sorry, sterling will weaken immediately if there's a no-deal Brexit. It will weaken massively. It could drop by 10, 15, 20%. That's another 20% off. Now we're into talking about very, very little for beef. Absolutely unsustainable industries. Real worry. That's where the Europe has to stand up and say, you know, that's where it really is going to have to support us. Um, and the other difficulty, obviously, is the border and what 
will happen if there's a no deal Brexit there. It's it's unthinkable. Oh, get a deal done, folks. Please, Absolutely. from, well, from look, everybody's perspective. Ha- have a referendum yeah. and go stay in. Uh, that's mm. what we'd all hope. But mm. look, at that might be wishful thinking. Uh, I think it might be just a little extreme, but a deal would be the, the second best option to get a deal done. Now, besides your involvement in farming, God, your talents are being spread around. Bruna Boney, I see, is in mm. your portfolio now. You're chairman of the Mead Partnership. And... Tell me about this proposal for a national hunt museum in the northeast. Yeah, well, I think if a number of people, you, you know, you, you yourself and different people remember the Ar- Arkel and the Arkel statue put up in Ashburn. Yeah, um, there's a group of people who put that together, and they ca- they've come back together and um, as a group, and they want to build a national hunt museum. They asked me to be part of it. I was delighted. These are cup half full people, Jerry. These are the most enthusiastic, brilliant people. My type of people. Oh, they're a, they're they're a, they're a tonic. To go in to a meeting with them is just absolutely brilliant. You know, you get a buzz and you say, yeah, this life is worth living when you meet. They want to build a national hunt museum. It's to add to things like um, Tato Park. It's to, to um, you know, the, 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 the wonderful things that are happening, Slane in the castle, um, all the, the, the World Heritage Site, obviously. Bringing tourists into the northeast, finding a way to keep them overnight. Give them enough activities within this area so we can build hotels and build businesses and jobs based on tourism in this area. We haven't done it enough of it as of yet, but we need to do that. Uh, Drawda should be the gateway to the northeast and it should be a massive, thriving tourist town. That's where we need to go. And that's the vision we have to have for it because finding and building new businesses that will generate massive employment, they're difficult to find. But we have this wonderful resource. Let's use it. It's brilliant, I have to say. And again, of course, the heritage, the racing heritage in yeah. County Mead, like, and all the yards that are there and the That's wonderful right. horses that have come and Arkel himself, as you mentioned. So you're very, very busy. That's the message today. There is life after presidency of the IFA. Oh, absolutely. Well, I was all, I'm always, I, I don't think I'm busy, but I am busy. That's <laughs> the reality. And other people say, are you mad doing what you do? But I, I enjoy it. I enjoy getting out mm. there. I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy the day that you have meet a politician or meet whoever along the way and you make something you've said or you, some sentence you've dropped suddenly becomes a, a, a policy and moves on and it becomes an, a, it becomes a, Reality. That's a nice feeling. It's a fantastic feeling. And you know what? You continue to make a big difference in many people's lives with what you're involved with, Eddie Downey. Best wishes to you for the year ahead. And we'll watch this space carefully from a farming point of view. Thank you so much for joining us on Late Lunch today, Eddie. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jerry. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Order your Renault 191 today and avail of low APR finance, cashback and three-year servicing. Visit Blackstone Motors today or see blackstonemotors.ie. It goes without saying that the international demand for Irish whisky is unsatisfied and continues to grow. A number of new distilleries have been established in recent years with plans afoot for many more. The Cooley Peninsula looks set to become the home for a brand new distillery. Irish Whitetail is the name of the whisky. It's the brainchild of husband and wife and team Nicholas and Violet Boyle and I'm delighted to say Nicholas is with me in studio this afternoon along with I think one of the youngest guests I've ever had on late lunch yes his beautiful little daughter Lily Anna is with him she's just 16 months old Nicholas you're very welcome to the show oh, thank you for having me thank you for joining me well first of all uh, will you tell me who you are or where you come from you're living on the Cooley Peninsula now but you're recent comers there yes yes we uh, we actually moved up there right after our 
daughter was born, I had taken a consulting job with a company in the north. And it really wasn't feasible to be commuting from Waterford every day for that. So we actually found the uh, um, a place to stay up there within a, a week of getting the position. She was a month old when we moved, and uh, the rest, they say, is history. We just fell in love with it. It's very similar to where I'm from in the UP of Michigan. So the, the climate's very similar except for the snowfall. And, you know, it's it's a fantastic area, very secluded, but not too far from everything. So it really you love like it. Home. You Absolutely. love it. That accent is from the far side of the big ocean that's on the west coast of Ireland. Yeah, uh, it would be... I mean, my family's originally from Donegal, so we ended up uh, uh, commuting uh, during the f- right before the family. We were evicted from the island and ended up it going through Pennsylvania, and we ended up having a... Oh, <laughs> oh youngest okay. guest has yeah. given us a little bother. Yeah. Anyway, will I tell you, Sinead Brazel is going to just say hello to her for a moment there uh, while we talk, yes. and... Uh, now, there she goes. Anyway, sorry about that. Anyway, uh, children beauty of kids. Be children. That's yeah, it. Exactly. That's the way it works. And that's it's the beauty of a family operation. Yes, and live radio where yeah. it happens as it happens. Anyway, originally from Donegal, did your family emigrate? We, uh, they were actually forced emigration. They were oh. evicted from their homes on Aramore and ended up in uh, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, right around the time of the, the big flood that killed off mostly Irish population there. They ended up on a small island in Lake Michigan called Beaver Island, where the family started to establish themselves. But as the fishing dried up, as more people from the island just swelled the population, about 5,000 people on this little island, they ended up moving further north into the upper peninsula of Michigan, working in the mines and the logging camps, and established our family as it is now. So it was it's all about immigration. We've tried to draw that into the bottle, the way we've designed the brand and everything. And it's really become one of those things where... Our story is about telling stories. Yes. So you've uh, come back to Ireland, really. You've made this a a complete circle. You've come back in this direction. What took you back to Ireland and how long are you here? Well, I originally came back in 2012. I did an internship through my university course study. Uh, I was originally trying to come over here to be um, an intern with a distillery, but we weren't able to find one, so they put me into a a sports internship program. Uh, Met my wife uh, through some friends. And then I came back in 2014 to do my MBA, and I've been here ever since. Okay. Uh, is your wife from the States? Uh, no, she's not. She's actually from Ukraine. Uh, she's been, she grew up here in Ireland. She's been here since she was about uh, uh, four or five years old. And uh, it's been uh, one of those things that her family was uh, immigrants, too. They ended up leaving Ukraine as, uh, after the Chernobyl incident. And yes. all, they took uh, the refugee status, ended up in Argentina. Then uh, my father-in-law couldn't get work down there, so he moved to the UK. Once he was able to get enough funds saved up, brought the family there, and eventually they came to Ireland as well. So their story very similarly mimics my family's story as well. So it's kind of a nice synergy for the two sides there. It really, really is, I have to say. Now, whiskey, why whiskey? Or what's your background in this? Well, I've loved whiskey. I grew up with uh, beverages all around, all the time, so trying different things. And one of the things that I've always been fascinated by is the, the science behind it, what changes things. Now, I have a business background, so my initial interest into a distillery was purely business. But the more I studied this process, and it's taken probably about four or five years to bring this whole idea to fruition, but it was just going, okay, I like this whiskey, but I don't like it enough. What can I do to change that? And so it just was about uh, changing that process and how you could make something out of nothing or maybe even changing something that's currently on the market. Mm. And we really just enjoyed that. And it was one of those things that after trial and error time and again, we could uh, really get to... uh, 
Yes. Really enjoy what was going on. Mm. It, it, I'll be perfectly honest, the first trials were absolute rubbish. <laughs> they were horrible. <laughs> but as we got better at what we were doing, and we found what was necessary to make the product work and maintain that flavor. So it wasn't just a one-off and done. It really could withstand uh, the test of time. Uh, we settled on the product that we have here, and it's really yes. become an interesting uh, process, but also an interesting flavor because people bring out different things in it all the time. Mm. Now, whiskey, you need, uh, I know this, to have whiskey uh, distilled and left alone for at least three years before you can actually call it whiskey. So you have product here with your labels on it. And of course, last year, late last year, the Whiskey Live 2018, you introduced yourself to the world. So where is your product coming from? Well, the product that's in this bottle is originally a single malt from Cooley. Okay. And what we did is we, we identified a, a product that was really, it was going to be easily manipulated because with a single malt, if you mess up a single malt, you can see it. It's, you can't hide anything like you can with a blend. So we wanted to really showcase what we're doing. Uh, with uh, the Cooley product, because it's a second fill bourbon barrel, there's not a whole lot that's imparted on that. So you're really getting the grain that's coming forward. And that's so there's not a massive flavor on it? No, it's very, very mellow. Okay. And so what we did then is we took our African mahogany and we just push that through to be able to really get this intense flavor out of it and create a full flavored and well-rounded whiskey. So you're getting more of a flavor from the wood than you are from the actual grain. So and how long did that take? Less than 24 hours. My, oh my, as quick as that. That quick. And it's all about finishing the flavor. So we're not after a time stamp. So we're not trying to say that we have a 20 or 25-year-old product. We're simply going for the flavor. And because of that, that we're able to create this at a price point that anybody can really afford and enjoy so it becomes a regular whiskey that you can have at any time so can you sell that at the moment can you put that on the market this one we're just waiting on regulatory approval right now and we're hoping to have that by spring so as soon as that that's available and that's actually why we're doing our crowdfunding is so Mm. we can have that product ready as soon as that approval comes through okay and what you'll do is in the short term you will continue to buy in from Cooley will it be just from Cooley uh, we're still working on our long term okay availability You'll buy in at what you can yep. say is whiskey. It's done the three years or whatever. Absolutely. You'll impart your flavours to it and then you'll bottle it up and sell it on. Yes. Now, long term, I take it, though, you will be brewing Most your definitely. very own. Yeah, we have a lot of... I've I've worked on a couple of mash bills that we're just dying to try out because the beautiful thing about whiskey is everything can be done a different way. Mm. So you can really put your stamp on it. And we have a couple of uh, recipes that we've been working on for a long time that go back to even when I was in the States. And we're trying to put a little bit of an American spin on an Irish product. Okay. Now, this crowdfunding you alluded to a moment ago there, you're, you're looking for backing for this venture. Now, th- this is not a, a, a cheap business to no, get into not. or do. So how much are you looking for? Well, we're just starting off with uh, 75000 And what that's going to be able to give us, this opportunity, is that's going to get us going. So we're going to be able to bring in that spirit, get the initial facility outfitted, and bring the product to market, which is what we're looking to do firsthand. Because if anyone who's been around uh, a distillery or brewery knows that there's a lot of capital that's mm. required up front. And through a traditional model, you're talking millions of euro that you're going to need to put in front. By the way, what our sourcing model allows us to bring that down. And so we're okay. able to do that a lot cheaper. And we're able to start off at a smaller rate through sourcing so we don't have to produce 600 liters a month to be able to produce it to the market. We can just bring in what we need when we need it, put it through the system, and then bring it out. So in reality, we could have a product coming in one day and then 
within 24 hours it's bottled ready to go on the shelf and out it goes so it's a slightly different model mm-hmm. uh, you're going to operate on in the initial stages Ex- exactly you're looking for a premises have you identified anywhere we've on the Cooley I- Peninsula absolutely we've identified uh, three locations that we're trying to sort out at the moment and hopefully uh, within the next month or so we'll have the uh, the location pinned down and we can start doing the fit out once the crowdfunding has been completed so that will be your home at that stage absolutely you've given me a little tipple of this here and I'm just going to wet my tongue for a second whether that's okay can I tell you about whiskey and me I do like a little tipple now and again but I always have to add to it I have to add to the whiskey in some fashion pure whiskey drinkers will tell you you should be just able to drink it alone or maybe just a drop of water to get it down to about 36% okay. to really open up the flavour is, is that a good recommendation to do that yeah, yes if you really want to get the flavour out just add a drop of water to it but what we're doing is we're trying to get it so you don't have to it's going to be smooth from that first sip and then you're going to have a long nice smooth tail that comes back after it I've just got that. (laughs) And I just put a little dibble on my tongue there. By God, that flavour does linger, doesn't it? Yeah, it comes through. Depending on where your your palate is, sometimes you'll pick out a bit of a fruit that'll come through first. Other times you're going to get that smoky barbecue taste that's going to come up. But the phrase that we use to describe it is you're going to get that taste of home. Whatever reminds you of that home feeling is what comes to the foray. And it really tailors itself to each person that's trying. And when we're at Whiskey Live... Each person describes something a little different that gave us that feeling of home. It certainly does. And even from that little tipple there, I can feel it. And it's a warming feeling as well. And smoother, I'd say, than, than other whiskies I've tasted. But with, with that linger, I, it's hard to describe it. I suppose like tasting a, a wine and, and trying to describe what it is. But there's a, an array of flavours there, isn't there? Yeah, it's really full-bodied. So you're not mm. just getting a couple of flavours that are going to come at you and then you get a few things that tailor off. You're going to really get a smooth all the way through the spectrum. So you're going to get some spice up at front, but then it's going to linger on and you're going to start to get some fruity flavours flavors towards the end so it's really going to meld itself together okay so tell me this the name of the brand again is irish white tail and you're going to market one whiskey under that or a number ultimately oh the the distillery itself is called irish white tail yes and then under the brands we actually have our whiskey products will be under rogue buck okay and so that'll be that product line specifically for our irish whiskey rogue buck is the actual product that's yep. the name on the product is yep. it rogue buck and then each one of the num- the numbers that we have on there, the 12 points or the 12 tines that you would see on top of a deer's antlers, will represent what each product was. So our 12-point rogue buck will always be our single malt with African mahogany. Okay, interesting, interesting. And I love I love the way you've taught this through fully, how you can get up and operating. Because look at how could you sustain waiting a number of years without actually turning exactly. over it's, product it's, as well. It's, it's it not feasible. Be feasible. It couldn't be feasible at all. And so where do you intend in the short term? Where do you intend to sell? Here in the locally in the Cooley area in the northeast, in Ireland, internationally? What? There's been demand in Ireland, but the majority of our demand actually, believe it or not, is coming from outside of Ireland. So we have a huge demand right now within the continent in Europe as well as in North America. The American market right now has just been clamoring. We haven't even had a bottle there. We've had a couple of people that have come over and brought back samples. And then when we went to visit family this past summer, we brought some back with us as well. And the response to it has been absolutely incredible. We have people that are clamoring to get it in Michigan, in Texas, Wisconsin, California. We have specific markets we want to go into, but the demand all of a sudden has just absolutely snowballed. And so we're just right now trying, hoping and praying we can get enough spirit together that we can then supply that demand. That's 
that's come out of nowhere. It's fantastic. And as I said in the introduction, that's no secret. The demand for Irish whiskey, not alone in the States, but over the world, mm-hmm. is huge. And, and we don't have increased. enough to no, fill it. No, we don't. We don't. So here you are, stepping into, yes, what will be a tremendous opportunity, I'm sure, for you as well. And funny, you know the history of the Cooley Peninsula and the oh, Cooley Distillery and all that goes along with that as well. You're actually in a heartland that's recognised uh, for whiskey production. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. And traditionally, absolutely, and we're what we're actually hoping to do is take advantage of that and produce a specific coolie whiskey. So our, the plan isn't just to create something that's going to be export only mm. and create something that is specifically just for the tourist market. We want to create something that's going to really tie in to the market locally and create something that the locals can actually get around as well. Because Cooley, like you said, is is a beautiful area, but it also has so many natural benefits to it. So we can actually create a product that is very unique to the area and actually create much like you would see in Scotch, where you have different regions calling different things that we can actually start creating a coolly specific product. Mm. Question from Eric, and it's a good one. Could you ask your guest, Jerry, is it possible to reduce the alcohol content of whiskey? You know the way you have low alcohol beers, no alcohol beers. Have you ever heard of anything like that? Reducing the alcohol content is very simple. You just add water <laughs> because it's a percentage of, of alcohol within the drink. So if, 40, if you have 40% ABV in your bottle, you 40% of that bottle is made up by alcohol. So you just add a little water to it and you're going to reduce it. Now, if you talk to a purist, they're going to say reduce it with distilled so you don't get any taste that's Mm. separated. But to be perfectly honest, as long as you're not using tap water, you're perfectly fine because you never know what chemicals are inside of your tap okay, water. Okay, you're better getting a pure water and using it a, a spring water. Rebels. Yeah, even if it has minerals in it, it's going to have minerals in it from the distillery when they, they do their own. So you're going to be able to really bring out some things that's not going to change a lot for the average drinker. Okay, so th- we are here today at the birth of a new baby on the Cooley Distillery, uh, the Cooley Peninsula, should I say. And, and again, to remind people, it's Irish Whitetail is the distillery, and you will have a premises shortly, and it'll be marketed under the Rogue Buck Whiskey label. Now, crowdfunding. What are you looking for there? What What do you need? And how how much are you looking for from people? Well, we're looking for seventy five thousand is our is our goal for this. And you must get the whole lot of this. no no with with Indiegogo. The nice thing about the 
because there's you have Kickstarter, which is all or nothing. But with Indiegogo, you can work around that. But the nice thing about Indiegogo is if you go over that, you also have a chance to get access to equity funding that's on top of that. Okay. So there's more advantages, especially for a spirits company, to use Indiegogo as compared to Kickstarter. So you're able to really take advantage of a large network of people that have been in very successful operations. And we've seen companies raise as much as uh, three quarters of a million dollars on Indiegogo, whereas Kickstarter, typically whiskey brands don't bring up as much or they're just doing maybe a tasting room or a bar, something that's auxiliary to the actual operation. So you're confident you're going to get 75 anyway? We're hoping for it. We have had a huge response to our pre-launch campaign. We've had a lot of people signing up. We've got the we've been offering these beautiful Irish Tool whiskey glasses to anyone who signs up. And when you sign up and you uh, donate uh, to the our kicks our Indiegogo, you'll get a tool glass. So if you order a T-shirt, you'll get a tool glass with that. If you order a bottle, you'll get a tool glass with it. So it's really one of those things where we're just trying to create a little buzz from it, and the feedback we're getting right now has been absolutely phenomenal. But if I support you and invest, mm-hmm. I get something for that support. Absolutely, that's the the idea behind this crowdfunding. Thing. Yes. always, always, you're going to get something. We have shirts, we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got uh, bottle experiences. So you can act. What we're looking to do is try to get people in because we're going to do everything in house from distilling to putting through our char finishing to bottling and packaging so you could actually come in as a party and bottle your own label so you could then walk out with your own rogue buck that's under your name so okay. we're really trying to make this a family environment so when you come visit our distillery it's going to be like you're going into something a little less legal so it's going to be like going back in time to a moonshiner's day <laughs> okay but remaining within the law we exactly. have to say of course as well but it'll give the, yes, the tourists that idea i understand what you're saying back. and a little bit different to the formal distilleries as well Tell us how they find out more about this crowdfunding and your whiskey. They can go to either our social pages. You can find us at Irish Whitetail on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can go to irishwhitetail.ie, and you can find out all the information on there. You can also find the links to the crowdfunding, and you can find out more just by going to the crowdfunding site. All the links are available there. But if you have any questions, you can just contact us. Nicholas, lovely to meet you on Late Lunch this afternoon and I admire you and I'm a great supporter. I love to support new ideas and fledgling businesses and yours certainly has the makings of a successful one by a different method than the norm that we've heard in the past about uh, whiskey distilling. Wish you and your wife Violet and your little daughter Liliana all the very best with this venture and I'm sure we'll be talking down the road. Good luck to you and thank you for joining us thank on Late Lunch much. today. Appreciate thank it. you.
Yes, there's going to be even more whiskey in the jar on the Cooley Peninsula shortly. Appropriate song, isn't it, with Nicholas Boyle joining us on the show. And we wish them well. I think you need a little dram yourself, Sinead. Where is that whiskey? (laughs) Bring it in here to Studio 2. Because, yeah, Uh, I I had Can I just paint a picture for you? Actually, you know exactly what happened because you could see it through the glass there. But maybe I'll just paint a picture for the listener of what happened there in the last segment in my studio. (laughs) It became a... A nursery it was for a crash. about 15, 20 minutes. Um, Little Lily and, oh God, she missed her dad so she much, really didn't did. she? Really yeah, we did. had to take her out at the start of the interview there and she just wanted <laughs> to get back into him. Sinead Brazel <laughs> has gone up one million percent in my estimation in the last 15 to 20 minutes and uh, nurse number two, Maggie Maguire, arrived on the scene as well. Well, I did what any sane person would uh, in that situation. Five Little Ducks was not working. No. YouTube and all its colourful colours <laughs> No go not working all the shiny buttons that I have here in front of me was not working so I did what any sane person would do when I called Maggie McGuire and I said get down here quick and help me with this child that won't the greatest auntie in the world how many has she now of nieces and nephews and she's nursed them all brilliantly and she threw her ha- a lot in with Sinead and I was here saying <laughs> I was saying to myself my god I'll tell you what the, the, those pair of women have just been fantastic this afternoon these are the things that happen in studio on radio that you don't see producer babysitter <laughs> ah you Happens, name yeah. it you're just multi-talented <laughs> anyway tell me this are you a real shopper are you a shopaholic I am a bit of a shopaholic mm. sometimes I lie about purchases and pretend that they're not new <laughs> <laughs> tell me this could you go a year without buying a single item of clothing gosh no you couldn't absolutely not not on your not a chance life. the lure of pennies is too strong <laughs> Anyway, we're going to meet a lady next, Sophie White, who went all of 2018 and didn't buy a stitch. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Order your Renault 191 today and avail of low APR finance, cashback and three-year servicing. Visit Blackstone Motors today or see blackstonemotors.ie. My next guest didn't buy a stitch of clothing in 2018. Are you listening, ladies and gents? In a bid to wear out what she actually already had in her wardrobe, Sophie White took a 12-month hiatus. How did she fare out? Did she feel deprived? And was she queuing for the sales on January 1st? Let's find out. Sophie, afternoon. Hi, how are you? I am really good. Now, I mentioned there in those few words, uh, sort of why you did it, that you'd wear out your wardrobe. But was that the real reason? Um, Yeah, well, I actually was just a terrible, terrible knee-jerk shopper. Mm. Like, I used to just... I didn't go on shopping sprees. I was on, like, shopping benders. (laughs) And back in January of 2018, I was doing my huge, which was like hunting through the Zara, um, you know, Stephen's Day, complete like, you know, um, (laughs) vortex of sales, looking for anything. Like, I just wanted anything. And it suddenly struck me that I wasn't looking for something that I needed. I wasn't looking really for something that I really wanted. I just wanted a freaking bargain and I'd got the kind of scent of a bargain in my nose and I wasn't going to be satisfied and it really made me just stop for a minute it was quite an epiphanous moment where I was like this is not how we should approach like acquiring things 
you know, yeah. at all. And, and especially like where we're at now with all the knowledge we have about how our behaviours are impacting the environment. So while I did, I think, have a very particular, like acute problem uh, that totally not everyone has. And I definitely am not preaching to people to not buy clothes and, um, but I do really think I needed to look at my uh, behavior as a consumer, and maybe many of us do. Um, so that's kind of what spurred me on mm. somewhat. Obviously, the conversation around sustainability has just like really gone so mainstream this year. It's so great to just see brands and companies and individuals like engaging with this problem and you know like things like um mary robinson's doing a podcast with Maeve higgins um the irish comedian all around this topic um that's brilliant it's called mothers of invention yeah and it's an absolute must listen yeah it's great and i've it's heard great. it actually it's brilliant yeah yeah and it, so it's just it was something that i thought like i think it's it's a problem that feels colossal to all of us. So, and we feel a bit like damned if we do, damned if we don't about it too, because like you're just breathing and you're harming the environment, you know? Yes. So um, there are several, I, I hear what you're saying. There are a number of factors underlying your decision. Now, here's the thing. Totally, yeah. Um, you actually didn't shop. You you s- said no, it was for a month initially, but after the month, it continued on and went for the whole of 2018. Now, let me ask you a few pertinent questions. Under, oh, yes, underwear okay. was in. Yes, so you have to you have to be doing a little uh, purchasing there. You you got a few gifts. I could gifts. freshen up the underwear drawer yes. if I needed. Ah, to. listen, that's sure that has to be done. <laughs> it goes with Thank the territory. You. Anyway, <laughs> you, you got a few gifts, and I know you got a shoe voucher, but they were minuscule <laughs> in the uh, context of of your <laughs> splurges. I think they were. Yeah, I mean, I. Um, in the article that um, you're referring to for image.ie, I kind of, I owned up to what, what my kind of parameters were, obviously, which was receiving gifts. And I received, like, I think I said, it's a jumper and a skirt. And yeah, and I obviously did the old underwear spend the odd time um, if I had to. And that was kind of what I said to myself. Um, but I think like what it is, is like we're seeing so much like, you know, fast fashion, and, um, you know, is like consumer behavior is driving fast fashion and then fast fashion in turn is kind of driving us. Mm. So like with things like influencers online, there was for a couple of years there, like a real kind of um, trend for influencers sharing their hauls. So you'd have these like haul videos where they'd kind of be like showing maybe 10 things they've just bought in pennies. Like, um, and I was really guilty of that like I remember like I'd just go into pennies and do like a flash spend of like 50 quid maybe on stuff that you know like I didn't really need at all for starters and I mean maybe I wanted it in the moment but it'd be like it'd be a real fleeting kind of it was like a little itch to scratch and like obviously all of those itches add up (laughs) <laughs> like I think the thing that I feel I mean the thing that really came up for me when I first started looking into all this was that I'd been kind of feeding myself a very comforting little lie for years which was that amassing like vast quantities of clothing wasn't doing any harm as long as I brought them to the recycling center mm. 
or the charity shop, you know, or but the recycling centre was kind of in my head. And then I went and did a little bit of research around it. And in the last decade, textile waste has basically become the fastest growing waste stream in the UK, um, you know, which has obviously, you know, been driven by, like in fashion, there is no longer two seasons you know, the way they used to be spring, summer and autumn, winter. Now with fast fashion and with garments being produced, like practically during shipping, um, you know, we've got like micro trends, you know, we've got high summer, we've got, you know, it's just everything has accelerated. Yeah. And, and obviously... I, and can I say our homes, our homes well. and your uh, wardrobes and where we store our clothes are spilling out with all this stuff. Come back to that point you made there in the last decade. Uh, it's interesting some of the stats you produced. 0.1% of clothing collected by charities is recycled. Oh my God. And 84% in the USA uh, was going to landfill or incineration. Um, yes. So that stat is from the Environmental Protection yeah. Agency. Mm. Yeah. Shocking. And now the the zero point one percent that you mentioned is um it's recycled into new textile yes. fibre. Yes. So that's the kind of pertinent point there that yeah. like it's not it's not like having a new life being reincarnated mm. as new mm. material, you know? Yeah. Um so and I think that's something like I'm sure I'm not alone in believing myself to have been somewhat uh, you know, uh, responsible in my practices around disposing of my clothes and things. And like, I should say as well, like I'm sitting in my bedroom right now and like, you know, I'm a privileged Western woman and I am surrounded by, you know, I don't know, like a despicable kind of amount of excess here, really. Yeah. Like when I was in the sales that day that I kind of decided to try this little experiment, I thought about my jeans, for example, because jeans would be something that you'd be like, oh, yeah, you'd wear out your jeans and like, you know, it's a practical item of clothing. We need something like that. And I then was really thinking about it. And I was like, no, I think I could genuinely. And this is even like, you know, if all goes well health-wise and touch wood and I live a healthy, long life, I think I'll be okay for jeans, like literally till I die practically. For the rest of your life? I have about, I don't even want to say how many pairs of jeans. Tell me, tell me, Sophie, tell me. I mean, I would say it's in the 20-somethings. I'd say I have about 20 pairs of trousers across jeans, joggers, you know. Yeah. I could cover my bottom half, which is demanded of me by society when I go outside. I could do that till I die, I'd say, without buying anything else. No problem. (laughs) Isn't that just incredible? And I'm sure you are only um, a a reflection of so many people who are listening to us today. Now, when I tell you, Mm. I'm just going to a little short break. I won't be long. Will you stay with me? Because I'm very interested in what we're talking about. And I'm sure our listeners are as well. Just hang on there for a moment. Short break. Did somebody put that ad in there on purpose for Kildare Village just before myself and Sophie White resumed our conversation? Sophie hasn't bought... A stitch of clothes for 2018. There's a bit of an irony in that, Sophie, isn't there? Are you baiting me or something? <laughs> <laughs> I am in a way. Just in case, I, I forget before the end of the interview, just in a word, how much did you save for the year, do you reckon? I think conservative estimates, about three and a half grand. Wow. Yeah. That is a lot, a lot of money. And did you use that to do anything else then? Um, well, I did go to New York uh, with my husband in September. Did you shop? Did you shop? Tell us honestly. 
I deserve the Nobel Prize because I went to New York and I did not shop. Oh, Sophie, how did you manage? You have great so, willpower. I'm saving money and my marriage, basically. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I genuinely feel like it was willpower, though. Like, especially by September, I was just in a mindset. It's so interesting how Mm. once you just take something like that off the menu, you totally, you don't feel deprived. Or I didn't feel deprived. I just felt like it actually made me be quite a bit more creative um, and kind of like explore my kind of, because I'm really into fashion. Like, you're not talking to someone who just like, you know, just covers their best and doesn't think about what they're wearing, whatever. I'm obsessed with fashion. I love it. And um, so I got really into like fixing what I already had or kind of customizing clothes that I already had. And you never did like that. that before in your life. This was the first for you, was it? Well, I had somewhat. Like I have a sewing machine. I know ah. how to use a sewing machine, but I wouldn't have done it that much. You're right. Okay. And, and, and here's yeah. the thing I think people want to know. You mentioned all those pairs of jeans and trousers you have that'll do you for the rest of your life. Mm, yeah. Obviously, you had lots in what you had to keep yeah. you going for the year. Nobody said, oh, isn't Sophie looking a little shabby? No, and like, that's a reflection of my habits. Like, my, I'm owning up to it. I'm owning it. It's not good. I'm not proud of this. But like, I do, I did have a lot. Like, I just, as I said, like, I felt like uncomfortable discomforted by like the sheer excess mm. that I was surrounded by now I'm not I don't like turn over do you know a lot of people would kind of move on items after a year or two yeah you know people are a bit more considered I just never throw things out I'd show up actually for Christmas just gone <laughs> there on Christmas day we get quite dressed up in my family in my family and I arrived in a dress I wore to my wedding it was not my wedding dress, don't worry. Okay. It was Christmas appropriate. But like that, you know, that's six years old or whatever. You know, like it's, yes. I don't really throw things out either. Like that's it. I, I take care of things. And I, okay, so that's the, yeah. the double whammy. Uh, the impulsive shopper, the splurges and the never throwing out means that it just builds and builds and yeah. builds and builds. But here's the yeah. other thing you discovered. You got the sewing machine out. Fantastic. You altered, you took up, you let down, you did whatever you had to do. But mm. you also started looking towards exchange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did, I think the first thing was I had a kind of a black tie event. And I remember putting that out to some of my friends. Like, would anyone have anything to give a loan of? And then a friend of mine started doing this thing where we'd kind of loan each other things that we are a bit tired of or like mightn't fit great at the moment, but it's still nice. And we'd loan it out to each other, like an extended loan, um, just to kind of, so that, like, the dress that you're not into at the moment still out there kind of, like, having a bit of a party for itself, <laughs> living its life. And, um, and yeah, I also went, I actually went to a brilliant thing that's just started um, in Dublin um, called the um, Good Fashion, sorry, the Good Fashion Social, which is a swap shop event. Okay. And um, so they've only just started up in November, but I brought... So I brought four old dresses of mine, went along on like, I think it was a Thursday night in the, the basement of a pub on Dame Street. And there was loads and loads of um, women there and some men. And it was a really great vibe. And 
um, you basically brought your clothes, exchanged them for clothes pegs, and then those pegs were like a currency. And you go around and look at all the rails. So they would have taken your dresses, put them out on these rails. Everything was displayed really nicely. And there was great stuff. And you could basically shop with your pegs. And you were swapping for something else that somebody else, like, had gotten tired of. But it was still lovelier, you know. Isn't that brilliant? And and I, I also see you on Instagram, this Insta story swap shop. Yes. You've been insta stalking me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's just I, research. That was research. something that kind of came into my head when I, as I said, I was looking for something quite fancy to wear to this black tie event, um, and it got me thinking about how, in the past, like I'd have to go to things like that the odd time for work and things, and I'd always, like, straight away head out and buy some, like brand new, like ridiculosity that I did not need and would get one wear, you know? Yes. And um, I thought, like, it's one thing, like, people feel, I think, is about coming into Christmas, like, you kind of always go and get, like, your Christmas party dress or something like that. And obviously, even aside from the waist, like, we don't have the money to it. Mm. it. Um, And so, yeah, basically, I photographed lots of the things that I think are nice, like nice outfits that I've gotten over the years to wear to fancy events. And I posted them on my Instagram and basically made it a kind of an open swap shop for anybody if they were looking for something to wear to their office party or whatever and they didn't want to shell out or couldn't, you know, that all I'd ask is they just return it to me. I think it's brilliant. I think it's, I I really congratulate you on it. It's a fantastic extension. Another one of of what you'll be doing as well. Before we finish, a couple of things. Are you cured? Are are your days of splurging over? Are you really now focused for the future on living your fashionista side in a different way? I think I am. I think I've had like a significant attitude shift. I don't know if I'm fixed. That would be going too far. But I definitely approached the whole thing completely differently because I basically just kind of, I just dived into a terrible place where I just saw shopping as kind of a form of entertainment and never really considered the consequences of my shopping. Mm. So, um, but I have to, I mean, I have to own up right now. I'm sitting in a jumper that I bought last night. (laughs) 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 So I've already... Uh, I've already bought something in 2019. I feel I've earned it. But and also this jumper is by the absolutely brilliant designer Helen Steele, who's an Irish artist. I know designer. her well. I've interviewed her on this show yeah, a couple of times. She's fantastic. So she's doing this great range with Dunn Stores. Um, and I I went to go buy the second it was released. I, I bought some of that stuff. But at least I felt there... I am. That's the decision I'm kind of trying to go with going forward. Is trying to support Irish makers and Irish brands, and also support brands that are like you know have a similar mindset to me. So there's like an Irish brand called Steel, and that's S T I A L, as in style, Australia. Yes. And, um, you know, they are really dedicated to sustainability and being more conscious in our fashion choices and everything. And so they're literally steelshop.com. And at least if I buy something, I know that I'm like, you know, I'm making a good choice that's supporting something local and also, you know, it's, it's just like 
that bit better. Yes. And and I think as well, if we choose to spend with brands like that, you know, we know that money is, you know, it's, it's actually helping, you know, it's kind of going to a good place, I guess. It certainly is, and supporting our own as well. I yeah. think you're well on the road to be cured, to being cured, <laughs> and you deserve that purchase that you're sitting in there at the moment. <laughs> I have to say, I always enjoy what you write in Life magazine, Sunday Independent, oh, thank you. The Independent, thank you. and I know you are a highly regarded journalist, nominated twice for Journalist of the Year as well. And I thank you for uh, joining me today. Very interesting conversation. And I wish you well. And perhaps down the road, we'll check in to make sure you <laughs> haven't relapsed entirely. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Sophie. Me. Lovely to happy talk to you today. Many Bye. happy returns. Take care now. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Order your Renault 191 today and avail of low APR finance, cashback and three-year servicing. Visit Blackstone Motors today or see blackstonemotors.ie. That's the second time today the ad has given it away. Blackstone Motors. Who is he? Our mystery man. Our first gentleman joining us in Lose Weight and Feel Great 2019. Well, I can reveal today he's with me. He's been with us before on the show. And they are late lunch show sponsors. It's Donal Waters from Blackstone Motors. Donal, welcome. Hi, Jerry. How are you? You well? <laughs> I'm very good. 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 Anyway, you've uh, put your hat in the ring for this year. I think it was probably by default, Jerry. I think it was actually made to it. I think I said it in, in Jess to you last year or so that if you're looking for contestants, you know, or people to actually do this uh, to, to give us a shout and I was actually, when you actually called and I actually picked up the phone there to a certain degree a big glump kind of went to my, I had something in my throat there to be honest with you, I said, oh my lord I, I didn't want to let you down, I, I, it's something that I need to do, so yeah, so yeah I'm here, uh, a bit apprehensive, uh, I wouldn't be I'm not one of these gym buddies to a certain degree. I'm uh, just to tell you about, or people out there, a little bit about myself. I'm 45 years of age. Uh, I, I'm a co-owner of Blackstone Motors. Um, we're in the car business. We're just about to open up in Dundalk. We have a garage in Drogheda. And we also have a, a garage in, uh, three garages in uh, Cavan. So we have a very busy schedule. So uh, I'm probably time, I'm, I'm at that age now, 45 to a certain degree, where I need to do something. It's just uh, probably not, I, I need probably someone to show me or direct me to a certain degree show me exactly what to do because I'm not doing it and I know it's one of those things that I know I have to do it, but just trying to find the time trying to find there's not enough hours in the day but this is probably giving me an opportunity to push myself now and actually do and do something about it I need to change you know Well can I tell you in Lorraine yeah. Balfe and the crew at Integral Fitness and Leisure yeah. these are the people yeah. who you've been looking for Brilliant They're brilliant. going to look after you over the next six weeks Donald Great. and set you fair from there on the other thing is, <laughs> I yeah. did ask you, uh, and, and that's true, I did about a year ago yeah, say yeah, to yeah. Donald, uh, you know, and he said, look, will you leave it? But you see, once you give me an inkling at all, you're in trouble. Anyway, listen, maybe it was four, because yeah. I had, just over Christmas there, I was actually, I, I was in the marshes, I live in Dundalk, and I was in the marshes trying to get gear, because I don't even have shorts, I don't even have a, a short, I only have runners. So I actually went in, and I was, I was actually looking for a pair of runners, I said, listen, I need, I've gone to gym, never been to a gym in my life, you know, that's thing, you know. Now, as a, as a Christmas... As a Christmas present, my wife actually did give me a membership for a gym, and I haven't gone yet because I don't know. Like I'm, I'm a bit apprehensive. You know, when we go into these gyms, you see all these guys working out and stuff like that, and they're all toned and stuff like that. You know, type thing, and you would be there like you don't know where to go. And I'll, I'll be probably sorry, not that it's divided where you have the men and the women, the guys doing the weights and stuff like that as well. I'd be probably over with the women, probably just sorry, and I don't sound sex anyway. Just I don't know what to do. So, so probably this is probably the best thing ever that when we do actually go in, we do get the instruction, we do get the team from Integral on board to actually show. 
show me what to do. And yeah, I, I can't wait. I really look forward yes, to it. Yes, and then you'll you know? get the use out of the membership then beyond this as e- exactly, well, Donald. Yes. Um, did you have a good Christmas? I was going to be honest with you. Yeah, I had a great Christmas. I, I was drinking. I was I was uh, eating all around me. Every time I actually passed the, the tin of rose there, I made sure I had one because I, uh, every time I look at it into the fridge and I look at the beer, they're all kind of all, all my little friends and I know I can't have them now. I'm, having, I'm, I'm on a dry January trying to make the change. I was going to have a moist January up until now, you know, and then just got to drink because I know uh, beer is a huge factor to a certain degree. Uh, so have a beer, a beer belly. It needs to go. Uh, it's been a friend of mine for a long, long time, but we have to actually part, part distance now to a certain degree. So, yeah, so looking forward to the, the weigh-in. I feel I'll, I'll be like Mike Tyson. As I said to you, I'll probably have stones in my pockets because <laughs> I, I like. I don't know how I'm going to lose it because it just... But but that's all part of, part of the programme, you know? It certainly is. And you know? don't worry about any of that yeah, at all. Okay. No, I, I know... Uh, something that you were involved in previously, Krav, uh, Krav Maga. Yeah. Uh, weren't you there for a while? Yeah, yes. I was, yeah. So, so, so my, my wife always said to me, listen, you, you wouldn't just do join a gym or do something, you have to do something mad to a certain degree. But I, I, probably when I, I when I went to the uh, to Krav Maga, you were kind of getting fit, and but also you were, were learning self-defence. Uh, Anthony is a great guy in Dundalk Krav Maga. He's a great squad, he's a great team, and what he's doing there, uh, the courses that he has, he, he, I believe he's teaching schools there to a certain degree. It was actually, and I'm hoping to get probably the same rush or adrenaline rush to a certain degree because when you do exercise, you do feel that you do have the extra energy. Even though I was going home black and blue to a certain degree because there was guys twice my size there, you know, type of thing. And here's this little Irish fella going in, you know, sort of thing, and getting beat around the place. So maybe, yeah, so, but it wasn't like that. No fair. So, uh, uh, but, it, but it was good. So, Probably the the proper uh, somebody to show you uh, to, to what to do is probably what I'm looking for. Now, yes, you won't be black and Indeed. blue. Well, we hopefully can, not. We can assure you <laughs> that, Donald. There's no Indeed, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. Do you have and, and and you don't have to say it on on air today. Do you have sort of um, something in your mind that over yeah, the six weeks you'd like to get rid of? And I'm kind of afraid to, uh, to say, listen, I'm, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I believe I'm about 15 and a half, 16 stone, you know what I think? And I'd like to bring that down two stone, but is that achievable to bring two stone down in, in the short time of six I've weeks? I've seen it done. Have you? It's an awful lot of weight to actually lose in that period of time. But I like me grub. But, but look at well, you know, you know. Well, <laughs> but I promise not to drink. You know, you know? it's not worse when you go into the shop. It's not worse when you go into the shop and everything's just lo- lovely. And I don't want to be eating lettuce. I want to, I want to enjoy. But obviously, that's yes. not going to happen as well. Yeah. You know, you have to be no, realistic. Well, I, I'll tell you, Donald, as well. They're practical as well and integral. Yeah. I have to say this. They understand as well that this is a gradual process, and you know that's something you have in your mind, and you must yeah. have a target, and that is great as well. You'll see that as you get into this and as the weeks move on, it, the weight will come down. That's now, assured. Now, I hope I'm not 17 stone when I go to weigh in because you know how we always kind of lie about what we actually are. And actually, the scales, you're not sure is, is the, scales a bit, the scales a bit wonky or not. You're not know I think so. I hope the scales, like, it's a good scales, but I hope I'm actually on target. You know? No, listen, the yeah, scales yeah, 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 okay. will be calibrated. I hope, they are. Be I hope they're going to be checked now, double checked or not. They you know? will before right, anybody enough, steps okay. on them. And they'll be is. the same scales we'll be using week on week that right. you'll be able to have. A, have a look at great, great. so look it is a six week programme there is work involved great. and you are busy as you said uh, and congratulations may I say to Blackstone on expanding again the new garage yeah. in Dundalk yeah we're just about to on the next Monday um 
we we opened the doors in Dundalk. We we've had uh, we've had the garage for two years, but uh, we didn't open it. We've uh, we wanted to get uh, Cavan operational and up and running. Now's the time. Uh, we've got a good customer base in Dundalk. A lot of our customers are up there. We want to service those customers. We've uh, we're going to have great deals up there. Um, we've got a, a lot of uh, stock to a certain degree. We're going to have the full uh, Renault uh, range up there as well as Dacia. And then come at the end of uh, April or so, that we're going to have a full servicing and, 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 and uh, the whole boutique to a certain degree as we have here in Drogheda. But first initially is going to be a sales outlet selling new and, and, and used vehicles uh, uh, um, up in Dundalk. Yeah, and, and at a time we've alluded to this in the past where there's a bit of uncertainty for the motor trade with this bloody thing across the water. Will they make their minds yeah. up one way or the other, the Brexit thing? True, but I think we just need to get on with it. I think, yeah, there's a lot, okay, Theresa May and all that kind of stuff and it's a lot. Of, it can be a lot of mumbo-jumbo, but listen, there is a lot of customers who still need to commute they still need to buy cars they need to still get them service they're still looking for a good deal and that's what we offer to a certain degree um, you know we uh, we offer a very good service um, we offer a very good value and uh, we're a one stop shop if you're looking for any type of car to be honest with you yeah. and, and I, I'll remind people yeah. because I was there on your yeah. opening night you and when the Indeed, country yeah. was on its knees yeah. yourself and Noel bit the bullet and went with Rob. Yeah, and I, I think we've bitten several more there to be honest <laughs> with you but I think yeah listen I think you have to go for it we have a great squad uh, we have a great team um, our, our staff our management team um, from the top down uh, everybody's important there so yeah listen you okay we were risk takers to a certain degree it's paid off we, um, we've we invested heavily back into uh, t- t- locally like uh, t- Dundalk were one of the main sponsors we sponsored the uh, Loud Ladies uh, football team we also sponsored the Dundalk uh, f- team here as well Um Draw the town, town. Yeah, I draw know the town with McTonner yeah. as well. So, so yes, we're heavily involved in community. Where we, it's not as if it's take, take, take. We give back to a certain degree, and listen, yeah, it's uh, we're hoping to do very well in Dundalk, and yeah, yeah, look forward to seeing all our customers coming into us. Well, we wish you well. Well, look at uh, you mentioned. Sorry, it's been bu- like a miles, a hundred miles an hour here. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, sure I know, I, sorry, okay. I know, but you're excited, and it's yeah. it's another new start for you as of well, course, and yeah. it's it's fantastic. I want to congratulate you on it. You mentioned biting the bullet. Now, listen, yeah. no, no more biting too much for the next six weeks. It's going to be tough, I tell you. I'm going to enjoy myself up till Monday, to be honest, because after Monday it's just, it's, it's curtains really at the end of the day, you know, it's, uh, listen, like, I've a lot to, uh, to, I've a lot to lose and nothing to gain, you know what I think, really, at the end of the day. So, yeah, I'm very conscious, um, I'm actually looking forward to, to talking uh, to uh, the, the instructors, maybe a, a diet plan or so like that, and, and I think once somebody directs you, hopefully then it'll be, uh, it'll, I'm looking forward, six weeks ago. Okay, so exercise will be increased, the food will be watched, you'll have programmes, you'll have your own mentor, you know this for the six weeks as no, well. You'll okay. have your personal trainer there okay. and he or she will be looking after you. Are they buying a car? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be able to sell them a car. That's all I'm going to Well, you know what? I'm yeah. just interested here that yeah. you say that. You never know. A little sideshow could yes, be so I could do a little, yes, I, I'm d- just d- thinking that. I'm just l- l- listen, I could do a bit of mentoring to them as well, you know, so I think you never know. It'd be a win-win situation for everyone. You can return there to them. Go. Good man, Donald. I'll go. tell you one thing. If you didn't buy from, if you didn't buy from this man, who the hell would you buy from? Good he has job. the gift of the gab, that's for sure. Anyway, don't look. Good luck. Thank, Thank you for joining us today. So, we've met Anne Mead yesterday. Donald Waters is in now. We have another lady to meet tomorrow and a gentleman then on Friday. And that's our Fab Four for 2019. We're weighing in on Monday. You'll hear all about it on Late Lunch on Tuesday. 
and Donald again I, like Anne yesterday good luck to you I'm Thank looking you very forward much. to being with you Can't on the journey for the next six weeks thanks, thanks a million Thank Donald good luck anyway that's our lot on late lunch almost a lot for this uh, Wednesday afternoon on the show thank you so much for joining us through the day and thanks to all our guests who joined us on late lunch here's Pulp and Disco 2000 they'll be shaking their booty in Integral for the next six weeks see you tomorrow i